RNMD is a show about hospital relationships from the perspective of doctors and nurses. You're very smart, and we know that you would never come to a podcast for medical advice. So obviously, call your non-podcasting doctor and nurse team if you need any medical care. Oh, and we should also mention that we don't represent any hospital at all, ever. Okay, start the thing. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited for you to be here. Um, if you want to just go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. I am Dr. Ali Hader. I am an interventional cardiologist. been practicing now for seven years as an attending. I work in Massachusetts. I originally did all my training in New York City, so I came up here for my gig. And, you know, I clinical practice, I do... Kind of everything between interventional cardiology and general cardiology. My main interest focus is sort of, you know, structural heart disease. I like TAVR procedures and Watchman's and uh, complex coronary interventions and like heart stents and things like that. Treatment, we're a high volume center for heart attacks or STEMI's ST elevation, myocardial infarction. So we do a lot of cardiogenic shock and STEMI patients, sort of the acutely ill population. And I work at a teaching hospital up there. I get to work with a lot of, you know, students, residents, and house staff and fellows, which I really enjoy and the educational aspect of things as well. And then do a lot of general cardiology. I work for a private practice and we work kind of in conjunction with the academic hospital. So I get a little bit of uh, both flavors and have a busy office practice and, and do a lot of clinical work there. Um, and then obviously, as you know, on the side, I do a lot of social media geared education and which has evolved to fighting misinformation and, you know, obviously not afraid to voice my opinions. And so, yeah, and that's how I kind of ended up here with you guys. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I love your account so much. Um, well, first of all, it was just the first introduction to like, um, Instagram with like doctors and teaching, especially the teaching part of it. I saw a lot of like med fluencers, you know, but yours was like a lot of like EKG stuff and stuff that I wish I had known more about, but not being a cardiac nurse, I didn't have that much training in. And I would always like do your quizzes and stuff like that. So that's actually how I, like you were the first person that I really started to follow. And I learned a lot and you actually, you probably don't remember this, but like two years years ago, you recommended like an EKG book to me. And like, I read the book. Like, yeah, like all this stuff. So, so yeah, that's pretty cool. But I mean, like you said, recently, the like the misinformation and this stuff, I see your comment section, it's crazy. It's a dumpster fire, isn't it? Yeah. It's, and it's, it's, it's fascinating sometimes. And you know, I know it's going to occur. And it's just crazy. And each time I'm just like, man, what's going to happen? And who's going to say what? But it just it's, I think it's also important to enlighten you, like, what is the, you know, the, the mindset of a lot of folks out there uh, and, you know, the levels. I mean, I'm, a lot of them I actually had to delete because it was just so over the top, but it's, it's kind of crazy, you know? Yeah. And this, like, you know, from my, my little ecosystem of folks who are mostly, you know, not in that kind of perspective. So these are people peeking in. You can only imagine, you know, what goes on in a lot of other folks' comment sections who are, 
probably on, on the other end of, you know, my spectrum. So it's, it's kind of a little scary. Yeah, it's definitely scary. I've like fought robots from Russia in your comment section, like a hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no bot chance stands a chance with my followers. Yeah, that's true. That's true. People always are quick to come to the defense. So that's pretty good. Yeah, but it, it is really scary. I mean, I had something similar on my page because I have like pictures, you know, of like being a COVID ICU nurse and stuff like that. And there was the same kind of thing. I mean, not on such a scale like yours, but I had people in my comment section just saying I was a liar and all of this stuff. I mean, it's just absolutely crazy. Yeah, I, I, I've perused, believe me, a lot of, you know, probably your page, other pages and things like that. You, you see it kind of peeking up left and right. And it's just, you know, and it's, you know, the, on one end, it's just like, you know, if someone's going to write something they agree with, a supportive thing, these folks are just passing by. Not only do they say, oh, I don't believe it, they go as too far as to write sometimes a paragraph, yeah. right? Yeah. So think about that for a second, right? It's not just that they're, oh, I'm not going to like this. I'm going to pass through this or write one line. Like they literally like write this whole thing. It's yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I I think you and I kind of feel the same way about some of this stuff. Like I had people, at least on my page, people that like to follow me and believe in COVID and science and stuff, but they were sort of a little more passive in the beginning. Like, it, you know, it's just a small few and it's not, don't waste your time on these people, but it's dangerous and it really does need to be fought in some way. I mean, you can't fight every single person and, and make a comment, right? But overall, it's a larger issue. But, you know, and, you know, and I am, to and I have a lot of my followers who are obviously, you know, on different ends of political spectrum and they, you know, they're, they're feeding into some of the, you know, some of the information and misinformation and, you know, conspiracy theories or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, then they, they'll comment. And I, I have no problem having a back and forth conversation. And look, you know, this is the reason why this is incorrect. This is why, you know, what you're saying does not make sense. And, you know, this is why you should be more worried about X, Y, and Z. And like, I get a lot of DMs about that. And clearly I can tell that person has a different viewpoint. They've been getting their information from, you know, certain, you know, I'm not even going to call them news outlets, opinion outlets. And, I've, I have no problem having a back and forth banter if it's, you know, if they are willing to listen and not just going to start throwing, you know, shit in my face. And yeah. <laughs> you know, if you can even get one person to kind of say, okay, you know what, maybe, maybe you'll get to change their mind. Maybe you'll get them to listen to it. You know, then I feel like you've accomplished something, you know, uh, unlike the other avenue where it's, it's sort of a, a losing battle. I'm not actually into social media as much as you guys are. Yeah. I only follow a few accounts, including yours and hers. But I, uh, yours actually was what got me into Instagram at for, in the first place because I want to go into cardiology. Mm -hmm. So all your posts are awesome. All the echoes, all the caths are the main Thank thing you. I look at. Yeah, they're great, man. I love all yeah. the content, the political stuff too. I like the way it ties into yeah, you know, medicine. I started off all cardiology content and it was sort of like, you know, I, I didn't really know what I was doing. And I was like asking my wife's like, and your sister's like, yo, how do I use this Instagram? Thing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, you know, and you're right. You know, I was seeing all these, I don't know, med influencers and I'm like, okay, they're taking selfies and scrubs and, you know, all these weird stuff. And I'm like, they, there's a lot of value to the platform. Right. You know, I feel like Twitter at that time I didn't like, I'm like, this has got a lot of value to it. So then that's sort of how it evolved from there. And I'm like, oh wow, people actually want to learn stuff. And you know, it was uh, interactive and then, you know, you get a following. And then and first I was sort of like, you know what, I'm just going to keep educational. There's no even politics into it. But then obviously the state of play in America changed to the point where like you have to mm -hmm. have a voice there because I think in some ways, you know, not saying something, you're, you're actually doing a disservice. Definitely. 
Yeah. Uh, speaking of your wife, I love her too. She's she's also one of my favorites. So tell her I said hi. <laughs> I will relay the message. <laughs> <laughs> also, the cooking stuff is cool. Yeah. Keep posting that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you got throwing a little bit of you know lifestyle in there. So and I'm like everybody's gonna love some good food to eat. So and I obviously enjoy it at cooks. So a little bit of a remix in there, I think you know gives it a little nice balance you know yeah i like it i like it. it's like a tavern and then like a lamb shank <laughs> yeah, exactly Demi <laughs> yeah, sucking a clock out clot out and next thing you know boom i have this like ribeye yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's funny that's funny it's real you know i'm like yeah see how it is you know absolutely Definitely. yeah what what was your experience during covid you, i i think i heard you talking that you it was kind of like all hands on deck you were working with covid patients yeah, so I was working with COVID patients to some degree, and I never, so the way that they had it planned where I am, obviously things got really bad, but the preparation was very good. They had a lot of ICUs open, but you know, the limiting factor was sort of like, okay, how many ICU docs are there? What if people get out with COVID? So we were sort of the second wave. So myself and a few cardiologists, we were you know, doing rounds with the ICU docs several times during the height of COVID. And you know, we were sort of, you know, preparing for, you know, potentially being, you know, rounding his ICU, you know, attendings with fellows. And, you know, obviously as an interventional cardiologist, I take care of a lot of sick folks, but totally different ballgame taking care of, you know, all mechanically ventilated patients in the ICU. I mean, I got to tell you, you know, and I was like, you know, obviously there was a little nervousness there, man, I have to relearn this. I got to understand this. And then, you know, social media really helped me because I connected, you know, I have this strong connections with all these other docs that we connected with, you know, know, Jay Mohan, Jamie Rutland, you know, Daniel Bilardo. We all sort of, we had these WhatsApp groups with like 10, 15 physicians and we're trading data. We're talking about the experiences, we're feeding off each other. And it was sort of like, it was amazing because it really, you know, uh, I I feel like if COVID hit in an era, we didn't have that, we would all be handicapped. So I I think the, the, our social media kind of physician network provided a lot of, you know, helpful content and support for us to be able to actually take care of patients, which is pretty awesome. And, you know, that helped me refresh my knowledge and, you know, pulmonary and critical care stuff. Luckily, it never got to the point that I actually was recruited, thankfully, to be actually a, you know, critical care attending. So my role at the end was mostly like as a consultation service. So, you know, we would consult on a bunch of different COVID patients, the sick ones and to that regard. But it was sort of like everywhere, like cardiology admissions and stuff and regular red bread and butter was basically gone. So we were all sort of trying to help out wherever we could, helping out the hospitalists and, you know, that sorts of thing. And now, you know, we're seeing this uptick now. There was this huge lull. We thought we were out of the woods. Now, obviously, we're going to have to see as of today, what's November 18th, you know, things are moving in the wrong direction. So, you know, we can only cross our fingers and hope that, uh, you know, this one flattens faster than the last one, you know. Definitely. Do Do you feel more prepared now and you know what to expect? Especially from a cardiovascular well, standpoint. I mean, both from a, I mean, from a clinical standpoint and from an infrastructure standpoint, I mean, I think we're much better prepared. I, I don't think anybody thinks, or I would at least say hope, we're not going to get as bad as we were back in March, April. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, we have a better understanding. And, you know, luckily now we have better therapy. We know a little bit more about how to take care of these patients. We, you know, have actually uh, medications that improve, you know, hospital time and mortality. So I think we're set up for a better spot. I think the limiting factor now is going to be, you know, available beds and, you know, you're hearing places that are overflowing. So that's going to, you know, which was a concern before, that's still, I think, going to be a valid concern if it got to the point of, you know, we're running out of beds. So we're, but we're really like, you know, preparing for that proactively 
every day. I just got off a conference call on the way home. Every day we're kind of staying on top of things. And I think communication within your organization and, you know, of course, with people around us in other areas is crucial. So I believe that we're going to be, you know, I mean, we're going to see a surge, but we're going to be in a much overall better spot aside from, I'm sure there'll be bad hotspots out there. But I think as a whole, most of us will be better. Yeah, I think, I think we're in the Northeast. So I think we got pretty hard hit early on. And I feel like COVID hit us it wasn't just on mass. It was also the severity was pretty bad right at, right at the start for us. But the yeah. viral prevalence has persisted countrywide. But I don't know about you, but it definitely seems like it's spreading pretty quickly. But the severity yeah. of it seems yep. to be a little bit less. What are your thoughts on that? I think... Uh, I, 100%. We were just having this conversation today. I feel like it's almost... I mean, I want to say more virulent. I don't think I'm qualified or have enough data to say that, but it just seems like it's spreading faster. And, you know, we're all, I mean, we're all masked. We're all in the hospital being extra cautious, right? But despite that, some of this is community spread, but we're seeing it spread more rapidly. Now, why is that? It's, you know, it's a good question. I mean, could it be the weather? Could it be, you know, pandemic fatigue to some degree? I, 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 I don't know the answer to that, but it, it seems, or maybe we're just sort of contrasting from a period of where things weren't that bad. Maybe we're just aggressively testing a lot more, so we're picking up more, yeah. more cases and hospitalizing more. I think that's part of it. But despite that, we're definitely, you know, so that's why because of the high testing, I think new cases itself, I don't think is, is the best marker. I think hospitalizations is probably our best marker. Compare apples to apples, right? But deaths are certainly down. And I think there's probably a, a, a multitude of reasons for that. I mean, I think in general, folks are a bit younger. I think we're protecting our elderly a lot more. I think we have therapies that we didn't before. I think we're better at taking care of these patients. So it's probably a combination of all of those things rather than some actual change with the virus. Mm -hmm. But again, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I wouldn't say I'm qualified to make those hard conclusions, but that's sort of what we've been discussing and theorizing internally. Absolutely. The um, the only research that I actually saw, I don't know if you follow um, King Gutter Baby. Do you follow her? She's a researcher. Is she the ID? Yeah. Um, she a lot of her stories. Yeah. I, 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 I do follow her, yeah. Yeah, she's amazing. So the only thing I, I was watching her and she was talking about the only real difference that they've seen, the, the original uh, viral strand that came from China, is a little bit different than the one that originally came from Europe, which is the one that hit New York City and then is the most prevalent one. And that one has a higher viral load within the patient, and then the patient is shedding more. So so it's it's actually like a theory that it's more contagious. It's not proven yet. There's not enough data yet, but it's a theory that it's a little more contagious now than it was. That is interesting. I mean, yeah, this, I, mean I think there's a lot we don't know for sure, but you yeah. know, I guess we're going to learn more about it and the most about it, but probably, probably when the things are settled down, but yeah. it is, it's, it is, it's, it's, it's scary yet interesting at the same time, you know? Definitely. And I, I'm glad that you came on because we're talking specifically today about the hopes of vaccines and how they play a role in the course of this virus. I thought that was a really good idea to talk about that because there's also uncertainty there, but also a lot of hope there too. Mm -hmm. And this week we have a lot of insight about how, that may help us and there are different players in the game. What are your thoughts about where we are with vaccines? And oh, and um, I remember you posted something for now for humanity also, and I, I did as well to have, so also I, I wanna hear your thoughts about like who should get the vaccine and if you're, you're gonna take the vaccine. So, sorry, go ahead. Well, first of all, I guess, you know, 
moving back to you know the concept of the vaccines i think i mean that's the collaboration that i and i for matter you know they reached out to me and you know they were starting this i think you know great movement to say that you know uh, it, the whole question becomes when a vaccine does become available right there's a lot of people out there in the world and mm-hmm. how are we going to roll this out and you know the concept i think is you know the folks who are at higher risk and most quote essential you know should be getting the vaccine first obviously the no brainers healthcare workers right mm-hmm. i think healthcare workers should be you know really the ones who get the vaccine first because someone's got to take care of the patients and if we don't have healthcare workers that are healthy we're going to have a problem i mean even you know you know I, I there's a few hospitals i go to and there's some you know people who have been you know knocked out and you're out for 2 weeks i mean even if you don't get that sick right you are still unable to come in and take care of these patients. And, and it's, it's funny, that's going to happen when usually the virus is spreading a lot, therefore the hospitals are going to be as full, but you're going to be short-staffed. You know? So for that reason, I think healthcare workers should get it first. And then the question becomes, you know, whichever country's vaccine comes out first, I mean, do we, do we take care of our own country first? Should we share this with the world? And these are other important conversations to have, right? Should we, mm-hmm. you know, how, what's the collaboration globally with, you know, whichever vaccine, which country develops it? How are we going to be sharing this to help the most vulnerable out there, right? Definitely. Um, and I guess a lot of that may depend on who's making those decisions. Um, and then, you know, other folks, I think, you know, the higher risk individuals, clearly, you know, the elderly individuals, people, you know, People in nursing homes, people with high-risk disorders, we know things like you know obesity and heart failure and heart disease and the laundry list of things. To me, that's the hierarchy that makes the most sense in terms of who should get the vaccine first and kind of in what order. You know, we, we're hearing this in the media. I, I don't really know if a plan has been laid out. Obviously, it's probably a little bit premature, but you know, these discussions are occurring behind closed doors. I think, unless you know something more definitive than I do, I think that's the cascade we all logically think. Mm-hmm. Correct I me. Mean, unless you guys feel otherwise, should be the the cascade, how we roll it out. No, I absolutely agree with you. I think healthcare workers should get it first and that cascade makes logical sense. The interesting thing though is, do you feel that it should be mandated, you know, starting off with healthcare workers? Like, should you mandate healthcare workers to get the vaccine or is it more- I mean, we get mandated to take the flu vaccine, right? right? Exactly. I mean, this is it's a slippery slope because then folks are going to come back and say, you know, this is brand new. We don't have long-term data. And I mean, these are valid points, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, do we have enough data to prove this is safety and you can mandate it? So that's, a, that's an excellent question. It's probably going to, that is probably going to come down to the level of, you know, the state institution, you know, rather than you know, obviously from more federal level. But I think my guess is we're going to see variation, but I don't know. And that's a concern, you know? I mean, in segueing that to, you know, the other part of your question, you know, regarding the information we all are aware of, obviously Pfizer and Moderna both have a vaccine, over 90% effective. I mean, we've looked at the numbers. The safety looks pretty good, albeit, you know, obviously it's in the earlier few months uh, of safety data, but it looks good there. I think Pfizer's applying for EUA, which I imagine they will get. And, you know, to me, you know, it's great that we have vaccines, right? that seem to be working, but vaccines will not stop the pandemic. Vaccinations will stop the pandemic, right? So we can make millions and millions of doses, but people have to take those doses, right? And then we have to instill confidence, you know, not just our governmental healthcare institutions, but as physicians instill confidence that, you know what, this is the right thing to do. This is going to be safe to take because you can make millions and millions and hundred million doses, but if only 30% of folks take it, you know, it's not going to accomplish what we want, right? So there's going to be a little bit of a challenge ahead of us. Mm-hmm. I mean, me personally, absolutely. I'm going to take the vaccine when it comes out, you know, 
And I also tell people that remember, and you know, Jamie Rutland posted that on one of his posts recently that, you know, SARS-CoV-2 is 80% similar to SARS-CoV-1, right? And we had vaccination research with SARS-CoV-1. There's a lot of similarities there. You know, they can target the spike protein and they're creating these vaccinations for that. So we sort of have a little bit of a head start on it. So it's not like we started from ground zero for what that's worth. You know, again, I'm not a scientist and I don't know all the nitty gritty that goes into creating these vaccines, but the select level, but you know, I, I don't think we, it's not like we started from phase zero, you know, for, for what it's worth. Yeah. It's so funny that you reference that. Cause I literally screenshotted it as a reference for this. I was like, trying to research. I was like, that's probably the best evidence when the people say, Oh, we, they just rush, you know, operation warp speed or whatever. I mean, that's a terrible name. It is, you know, and I, I commented on somewhere on that. And I was like, you know, we didn't do any good, you know, already people are worried about vaccines, you know, the mm-hmm. anti-vaxxers swooped in and they capitalized and, and they've spread you know, they've done a good job because yeah. now people are worried. Then you have the media and like, you know, not a lot of people understand how studies are done. Number one, randomized trials right. are done. And when seeing it out in the media, they're like, oh my God, they're experimenting with us. And I'm like, no, this is what we do, yeah. you know, and then the vaccines and then, oh my God, there's a single side effect. Holy cow. Yeah. I'm like, this is all normal, but that each little bit of that is a yeah. fear factor. So yeah. I think the media has some way done a disservice in all of the media by doing that not realizing the collateral damage it has, right? And then, you know, you got these other special interest anti-vaccine groups swooping in, capitalizing on that. Then you have the U.S., you know, government saying warp speed, you know, and I think that also did a disservice. So I think, you know, from our, you know, current almost previous administration and all the, you know, certain media outlets and all the other interest groups, I think they've worked towards actually making people less excited about the vaccine, despite how you know, horrible we are in this pandemic, you know, so it's, it's, uh, you know, we're in a mess. Yeah, absolutely. Why, why do you think we have um, these people who deny COVID is real and deny science? And, you know, when all of this information has been out for almost a year now, why do we continue to have these people? Well, I think the problem is that, you know, there's information and data out, but there's so many sources of information, what even misinformation, information, you know, one person is absorbing this, they're going to take it at face value, right? In the area of social media, you know, you know, the good old days, it was, you know, cat videos and vacation photos and food shots, not more. Yeah. Now it's, you know, capitalization by special, these are organized folks, right? And then you have not just social media, but you have very, very, you know, everything from conspiracy theory news outlets to more reputable news outlets, but everybody has a little bit of a spin on it. So, you can find whatever you believe, you will find something to corroborate, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And it's very hard to control that, I think, in our current state of environment. Back in the day when newspapers and news outlets were just delivering media, there was no, there's not this networking capability that we have now. Even when the internet was there before social media even got this big, we never had the ability to connect. So all these little conspiracy theorists, they were in their little pockets, right? They got together in their small little gatherings, but it was impossible for them to kind of spread it. Now they're well organized, they know the tech and they know the algorithms and they can spread that what would have been a tiny little, you know, environment of conspiracy theorists to blossom. And they package it nicely, they package it so they, you know, take sound bites from here and there and people eat it up. And then they politicize it, right? So it's sort of like becomes at a point where, all right, people who believe in COVID and people who believe in masks, they're here. You know, they're these extreme liberal mm-hmm. communists, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, we know COVID is bullshit. We know masks don't work. You know, this is the normal conservative. So in their mind, they're thinking that we're crazy. Right. You know? right. It's crazy. 
Yeah. You're so right about you can find anything that you want to find, though. I mean, I've went down these rabbit holes of misinformation. I'm sure you've done something similar. I mean, there is just the craziest, cra- craziest thing. I mean, even today, there was a guy, um, and, and I... I he he's stuck in my brain now because he's from Michigan and I I'm originally from Michigan and he's saying how COVID isn't real. And, and I looked at his location on, on Instagram and where he's tagging himself is right next to a hospital that just declared a state of emergency because they're so over capacity and, and he's not a physician. He's not anything medical. And, and it's just like, but there are people, you know, a thousand people liking his posts and saying, yeah, I agree with this guy. And I don't, you can't fight that. Every, every little post that that one person scrolling sees, right. And goes down that rabbit hole. It gives them more confidence that, wow, I'm right. He believes I'm right. This person has a hundred thousand followers. He must be right. Mm-hmm. This person has mm-hmm. this. So, and you create this, you know, sort of false bubble, you know, sense of yeah, exist, exactly right. And you know, the other part of it is, to some degree, the media, like real mainstream media, like why are we giving airtime to misinformation? Right. I mean, the misinformation that made one percent of folks gets a news story about it, then that grows, right? So, I, I actually criticize. Like, I remember. You know, I think it was CNN who interviewed this dude who's this carpet dude. Do you guys remember this? There was some Mm-mm. some person. I don't know some what it was, dude. but he came up with this cockamamie <laughs> theory about something. And it was completely, oh, you know, this, some substance is going to cure COVID. Some complete nonsense like that. And it went viral after that because they gave him a platform. Right. So the media should not, the responsible media should not be giving platforms or even talking about stories about these little conspiracy theories because that's going to, that's going to, you know, any publicity is good publicity, right? So, so e- e- all parts, even if it's unintentional, grows and it just, you know, ha- then it becomes a mind of its own and it just sort of perpetuates, right? Definitely. And it's hard to fight this. It's a very hard thing to fight. I mean, this all happened during a tumultuous end of a presidency and election too. So I think that contributed to the whole, yeah. <laughs> you know, madness as yeah. well. 120% because... You're, you know, you're right. And, and your point's important because even over the last several years, I mean, you know, aside, let's forget about even the COVID misinformation. We are been so polarized, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, terminology of fake news has uh, arised where the media has been slammed and, you know, we've created this huge division. I mean, like, come on, I, I can't remember. I came in my, talking to my mom. No one can remember how a country's so divided, right? When you're already heated and divided on completely separate issues, entered this issue and guess what it just gets gobbled up by that same political climate that same polarization right and it just you know sort of engulfs it you know and that has further pulled things apart you know so it's this really bizarre mesh of you know polarization from politics and then suddenly this pandemic comes and somehow that got injected into this this pandemic and it's done harm was it was the word inject used carefully or <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. I don't know if I want any bleach or anything injected. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. But yeah, definitely. No pun intended. No pun intended. Yeah. Okay, I have a question for you guys because I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I I did some research for this topic. Some of it is a little confusing, and like you said, I mean, I know we're not like infectious disease or anything like that, but um, some some of this stuff with the vaccine and the way that the virus mutates and all of that stuff is a little confusing for me. Um, could you guys break it down like a little bit? Dan, I know has like a, 
He has a Pfizer. I, I think I got like an alert. If, like if a you've done a little research on it. I'm going to listen to you. I'm also not an. <laughs> I ID don't know. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> having taken like some refresher notes. I don't want to sound stupid. So yeah, let's hear what you- me neither. That's why I'm asking you guys. <laughs> no, I know. I'm definitely no expert in this by okay. any means. I think I could say as someone who's been in the medical field learning about basics of vaccines, this seems to be a different mechanism than most of the vaccines that we've it's, it's encountered. It's never been used before in a real vaccine. It's it's novel. Yeah. It's novel. And it happened to be that this company, BioNTech, it's a German corporation, was already developing this type of vaccination, mRNA vaccination, prior to COVID outbreak. And it was kind of a fortuitous situation where they had the means to do it before this pandemic. And when the pandemic hit, they were in a special position to make this vaccine. That's kind of one of the things I learned. I didn't really know that before. And that's why they were able to make it so fast because they had the platform. Right, because they already had sort of the concept ready, right? Exactly. I think that kind of information would put the public at ease. It's sort of like, okay, you already had a lot of this pre-work done. You know, we've sort of tested the theory and these sorts of things and then enter into COVID. So those are the, you know, that and the information we talked about before with the SARS-CoV-1. I mean, I think if we get, give people that sort of perspective, maybe they'll feel like, okay, you know what? It's not like we just pulled this out of our pocket in a few months, you know? So there is a backstory to it, you know? Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, I mean, for those who are listening and don't really have an idea about vaccines, the general concept is basically you're exposing the person to a part of the bacteria or virus and eliciting an immune immune response that gives the person a little bit of protection if they encounter that bacteria or virus in the future. Usually it's either like, you know, a component of a piece of the protein of the, the virus or bacteria or it's a, a sugar that's coating it, or it's the toxoid in some cases too, like in tetanus. So this is a different in the sense that it's using mRNA, which is like a molecular component of organisms that basically transcribes DNA from nucleuses and, and that makes proteins. I'm not gonna go into the whole specifics, but basically the whole concept is you're giving the mRNA that has transcription from the COVID virus and putting it into your cells so you can create the proteins from the virus right. and that gets into your body and, and you can develop immunity to that spike protein, which is, is what they're specifically making you create in your body. So I think that's, I mean, pretty, I don't know that much fascinating, more. So, yeah. Pretty yeah. fascinating. So instead of taking a protein from the virus and exposing your body to it, forcing your body to react, you're actually starting even farther before that cascade, you're taking the blueprint for the protein, injecting into the body, and your body's creating that protein itself. Exactly. Wow. Right? Wow. And then your body sees the protein and then makes the sort of the, you know, I mean, it's fascinating. Yes. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's very work. And, you know, and in some ways, maybe we should feel more comfortable that we're not getting an exogenous protein. It's just the blueprint for it. And this is something our own body has created Mm -hmm. and our own body has reacted to. That's a great point. Yeah. And I wish this is the kind, and that's why I wanted to do this episode, because this is the kind of information that needs to be out there, not this kind of misinformation about a rush vaccine warp speed, you know, because like you said, exactly like you said, if people knew this kind of information, it would make you feel safer. I'm going to be honest. I wasn't sure if I would take the vaccine. I, I sort of felt a little uncomfortable 
comfortable. I felt like it was really fast. And then in the last few weeks, I've been reading more about it and I've been doing more research. And then I actually felt like, oh, actually, we've like you said, like we've had a lot of these components. And um, yeah. And so now I am going to get it when it, you know, hopefully is available to healthcare workers. I even did a I don't know if you saw my poll. I'm trying to pull this up. Mm-hmm. I did a poll the other day. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Same- oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. I yeah. saw that. Yeah. I'm, let me see if I can. What was the let's see what the final results were. I asked, you know, if the FDA granted EUA for one of these vaccines, who would take it, right? Uh-huh. Let's see, where did I put that? So I said, if hopefully when the FDA grants an EUA to Pfizer and Moderna vaccine, who will take it? 56% said, yes, sign me up. 44% said, no, too hesitant. And that was... 5,000 people said wow. yes, 4,000 people said no. And that your your account skews medical, right? It's doctors and nurses. That's what's crazy. And then my next question was, for those who you said no and are hesitant, and then I said, if Dr. Fauci strongly supports the vaccine and the safety data, would you then switch your answer to yes? Then of those people who said no, 66% went to yes, 34% stuck with no. That's brilliant. Just Which tells me that a lot of people's hesitation is what, you know, the politics and the media and everything is saying there, you know, when it comes from someone like Fauci, because, you know, people are not sure how much Fauci is even involved these days in decision-making. One guy, a lot of us trust. So, but isn't that interesting? I mean, I mean, look, we were, I think people were expecting if we get over 60, 65%, they take it. And the flu is around that realm. I mean, this is, this is pretty good. But what do you think about, um, Dan actually just told me this today about how, okay, Pfizer originally said 90% and then Moderna said 95. And now today Pfizer said, after reviewing the data, we, it's 95. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, I I think they, I think Pfizer said over 90%, but they didn't, they hadn't, they only had the preliminary data analysis. Okay. And there, maybe there were a couple of cases. I haven't actually, I looked at the Moderna paper. I haven't looked at the Pfizer data in detail, mm-hmm. but I mean, who cares? I mean, over 90, over 90, mm-hmm. you know, I think the bigger thing, the challenges, and, you know, uh, uh, just to talk a little bit about the distribution, remember I was talking about, okay, one step is we need a vaccination that's effective. So let's say for the sake of argument, everything goes through, we get EUA and Fauci likes it. Okay. We have an effective and safe vaccine. And number two is actually vaccinations, right? So we need to not only convince people that, you know, it's it's safe and it's doable. And then based on my poll, maybe I got to call Fauci and be like, yo, yeah. you got <laughs> to do an IG um, live with me. Numbers, <laughs> and then the other thing is distribution, right? And Definitely. you know, the Pfizer vaccine, both these vaccines are two doses. Pfizer vaccine has to be held at negative 70. Yeah. That's cold. To transport it, to store it, um, it's, it's going to be a major problem. So not a lot of places have that. I mean, you know, maybe someone's got to get into the business of these deep freezers, you know, because we're going to need a lot of these around here. <laughs> yeah. The Moderna vaccine only needs to be, right, only needs to be, I think, like, I don't know, negative 10 or 20 Celsius. I think most freezers, yeah. like like home refrigerators or freezers, can do can use the Moderna one, I think, for up to six yeah, months. They oh, go, really? Yeah, and I checked mine. So I think it's negative 5 or 10 Fahrenheit, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I most of those can, can get down to that low. So that's, so that's one better thing that they're going to have a little bit of ease. But in the end, I think, you know, I would welcome a third vaccine. I mean, the more we get, you know, I think the better. But challenges are still, I mean, the news is great. But, you know, clearly, as we just talked about in the last 20 minutes, challenges lay ahead. And even you you mentioned it being uh, two. You have to go in for two of them. I mean, that's its own barrier, too. It, it really is. I mean, you know, get, coming in for a second dose. I mean, you know, there's going to be people who fall off the map. And mm-hmm. it's just, it, 
I, I, I don't know. It's it's challenged. I mean, I mean, I'm glad it works, but we have to, now. We have to, I think we have to focus on how do we switch the narrative to America and you know tell folks and this is going to be the way to go I, 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 and strongly, you know. And I think they should create an entire committee for that because I tell you something: anti-vaxxers are well organized and they're going to be coming in hot. I wanted to, cause this is the, the point of this podcast is R and MD relationships, you know, and trying to like bridge the gap between us. Um, is there anything you wish nursing knew from your point of view? Is there anything that any interactions that you've had or misunderstandings, anything that you could speak to about nursing? Anything nursing new from my perspective? Well, I mean, I think from one perspective, like a lot of times I think nurses don't get like what we do and on a daily basis. I mean, aside from we put the orders in, we see the patient, we talk to them. I mean, like if they had a better understanding of like our thought process, our schedules, like what we do and like our workflow and vice versa. That's one thing that I think, especially in some newer nurses, I, I think would be helpful. And also, you know, doctors, I think, should also be better in terms of their communication or education surrounding the communication to nurses, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, how often do we, you know, aside from the ones we're friendly with, how often do we sit down and say, oh, this is this is sort of like how I go about my day. This is my thought process uh, when I do X, Y, and Z, when I put in orders, and this is what I do once I do my rounds and that kind of thing. And the same, you know, kind of with nurses, I think that a knowledge base, we sometimes also take for granted, you know, a seasoned nurse versus a newer nurse. What's the knowledge base gap? You know, what we have certain expectations that we expect the nurse to know or do. But mm-hmm. That's not always the case. And the nurse may be a little bit hesitant to ask for it out of fear, intimidation, and whatnot. So I, I think there's a lot of barriers of communication that I think we can all do better. And, you know, sometimes we internalize that and then, you know, doctor gets upset of the nurse or a nurse, you know, reports the doctor and all the stuff that goes behind scenes, which I think can be avoided. I, mean, I think I've seen a lot of evolution over the years of like, you know, a little bit of clashing going on, like, you know, the doctor didn't like something the nurse did, a nurse screwed up, and the doctor, you know, gets upset and maybe not on purpose, but he's, you know, got a hundred things going on and maybe he's, you know, had a bad day and then he gets upset at the nurse and poor communication. And then the nurse in turn, instead of, you know, trying to subdue that or get feedback, they'll report the doctor and, you know, these sorts of things can happen. I mean, it's an extreme example, obviously. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I would like to see just better communication beyond just, this is what I want to do for the patient, put the order in, and then I'll see you tomorrow. Maybe you have a better understanding of what our daily workflow work days are like. I mean, I don't know, maybe if that would help or not, but you know, communication, I think, is big. Yeah, definitely. definitely. I agree with that. I wonder why we don't have those things in place already. You know, sometimes I wonder because, I mean, they're simple solutions, right? I mean, I, before talking to Dan, I knew nothing about residency. I knew nothing about his schedule or why sometimes what I perceive is doctors just kind of relaxing in the back room. And I don't realize that they're working 24 hour shifts or, you know, whatever they've been at the hospital all day or they worked clinic all day and then they have to come in to the hospital, you know? And so they're just trying to take five minutes for themselves, things like that. If I knew that I would have more empathy, you know, the nurse's perspective. I mean, you don't know better. You say, Oh, I'm taking care of this patient all day. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm cleaning. I'm doing a Dr. Rosen five minutes, gives me an order and leaves. Like, right. you know, what is he doing? I do everything, you know? Right. So you're like, you don't even know good time to see. Doctors, on the other hand, they go in there and like, you know, the old school perspective, right? Old school is like, oh, I'm the doctor. And some doctors still like this. I'm obviously not, but I'm the doctor. You're the nurse. You do what I do. Don't ask me questions. Why do you do this? Why do you do that? So they have this old school mentality of this hierarchy and, 
you know, which is wrong. And I still unfortunately see this happen. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, the nurses, you know, they, like we just talked about, and then sometimes they'll get a little complex and they say no, and then they're going to, you know, now we have all these systems with this, I'm going to complain to my nurse manager and get this person involved in like the 15 committees. Mm -hmm. So it becomes a lot of passive aggressiveness on both sides. Totally agree. Yeah. And there's been, because of that, um, like historical hierarchy now, because of those systems that are in place, there's definitely a, a correction on the other side. Like I've seen because of the abuse of some of the older nurses that they've experienced for years and years and years, now they'll take it out on a new intern, right? Which that intern has nothing to do with what happened to them when they were a new nurse with an old school doc, you know. Especially these night ICU nurses, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Don't cross me, man. It's going to be bad for you. <laughs> You're 100% right. You see that? And like, it's funny because as the attending who like, you know, I'd always try to maintain a good relationship with all the staff, all the nurses, even the ones I may not like. But you see that. You're like, okay, come in tonight. And one of the night nurses, you know, experienced, you know, you know that some nurses are experienced, but they're a little overconfident. And then they see this intern who obviously doesn't know what to make. Like, I'm the doctor, you're the nurse, call me doctor, this and that. And I'm like, I see this. I'm like, this is not going to be good. Yeah. You know, and then I see this implosion that occurs. And then I have to, okay, how we calm this down? Let's, you say one thing to the nurse, you say one thing to the intern, like, you know, you don't want to create this controversy. So I find myself doing that a lot around July, August, you know, but you're hundred, you're hundred percent right. That's like, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of memes about that out there. Oh yeah. Tons, tons. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about or mention? Is there anything you want to promote? Not really. I mean, you know, we could talk about all sorts of things all day, I'm sure. But, you know, I, I think, you know, after our conversation, maybe, you know, now that we know these vaccines are coming, I think, we should maybe do a part. Maybe I'll do some posts or something about vaccines. Maybe this calls for a YouTube video to help, you know, although didn't talk about YouTube. You want to see real dumpster fire of comments? Look at YouTube video. My YouTube. Oh my. I, my God. I had to stop. I'm not kidding. I had to take a break from it because yours were the worst. They were the worst thing I ever saw. I just, I just ignore now. I'm like, it's not even worth it. Those are the scariest of the scary, by the, the way. The YouTube commenters? So, yeah. Oh my God. They're really, they're like legitimately like you wouldn't want them to know where you live. Like it's so. I delete a lot of them, but there's still good ones out there. So if you want to go check out my YouTube page at Your Heart Doc and be entertained by some of the comments, especially on the COVID and the masking stuff. And, you know, even the George Floyd video, man, I tell you, oh there's some, there's I remember, some I actually vividly video. remember your post on that when you were talking about clearly he died from asphyxiation. I remember. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. We talked. About yeah. We talked about, yeah. we're talking about your post. That I day. still get, Oh, every day, at least one comment shows up from somebody, you know, saying some crazy shit and I, I don't have time to scrub it anymore. So yeah. 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 If you want to be entertained, go look. <laughs> Didn't you get into an argument with somebody about Yeah, I that? did, of course. Yeah. All the comments? It, no, just like one of my colleagues. Yeah. We, we oh, your about colleagues. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, this this is a, just another example. I mean, that one thing with COVID, this is a completely separate example of wow, how, you know, the politics has really, you know, been injected into these issues. You know? yeah. <laughs> so I have a big question for you. You got, you have um, Instagram which is, I, th I feel like that's your baby, right? Um, and Instagram you have, is my main, my main thing, yeah, yeah. And then you have YouTube videos. You have a pretty big online presence. And Twitter, I suppose, I don't use it, but Twitter I, I have some. I, mean, I have like three, 4,000 in Twitter. Twitter is a little different. It's like, Twitter is where I kind of like, all like a lot of the cardiologists, a lot of the academics in there. So like we really like on a high level, like case discussion, so research. So I look at Twitter sort of like, you know, I'm learning from those guys. Whereas Instagram, I'm sort of teaching other folks. Right. And that's the way. I oh, interesting. And YouTube is just a free for all. I don't have enough time in the day to do all this stuff because I still practice as a full time intervention cardiologist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, but I, you know, 
it's it's uh it's fun you know yeah so when are you going to write a book <laughs> yeah i could compile a lot of cases and ekgs and people say, hey man you should write a book on your ekgs and whatnot I, once i hire a personal assistant <laughs> i cut down my work to four days you know I reduced my call and then, yeah. you know, maybe I was I was actually thinking when you were talking about that WhatsApp chat that you guys had during COVID. I wish you could publish that. I wish you could put that out there because how interesting that would be at the height of COVID, all of these doctors from different places talking about what they're doing. I mean, it would be fascinating to read. Maybe if you anonymize it, you could post it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was fascinating and just the stories and you know, even like, you know, uh, during the height of COVID, I was sending out these question boxes and messages. I'm like, what's going on? That was like one of my favorite things. And that's what really kind of got me, got me crazy. And then I just one day I'm like, hey, tell me about your COVID. And I got like a thousand DMs and these stories and whatnot. And then so, it, you know, it evolved into this news feed, you know, for right. a while. I remember. And it was just it, it was amazing, you know. So but yeah, so the, I think the personal stories from, you know, people in the front lines and you know, the minds that are thinking about it, it's, it's valuable information. Absolutely. Definitely. Absolutely. Such a small world. I know. It is crazy. It's it's a small world. I tell you. I mean, I'll go to places and people actually like, you're like, hey, are you a doc from Instagram? Oh my God. Is that weird? It's so weird. It happens all the time. It's very bizarre. God. How's your wife handle that? She just laughs. She's like, you know, (laughs) she's, I'm like, I just try to like be humble about it. And she's like telling like her sisters and friends is making fun of me. It was, it's pretty funny. I feel like you always go to places I was just at. Like you'll post, like I went to this like restaurant. I'm like, what? I was just there. You were in the Hamptons. Oh yeah. No, we were in Sag Harbor right at about the time. And then you posted, you were in. I'm surprised I didn't see you because I saw a group of three med students in the streets of Sag Harbor. It's crazy. If there's a restaurant you went to last week, I'm like, I literally was there the day before. I can't remember. Is that right? Yeah, it's so funny. That's hilarious. Yeah. It was a pleasure, man. Yeah. One day, maybe we'll cross paths once COVID is done. Yeah, we could actually hang out. Yeah, yeah. That'd be nice. Thank you so much for everything. It's a pleasure talking to you. I always follow your account and love everything that you're doing. And um, please let us know if there's anything we could ever do to, like, you know, help or promote. I mean, you don't need our help, but we would love to share anything or, you know. Thanks. I I love having these conversations. You know, I love meeting, you know, other fellow healthcare workers on, um, on social media. And I'm glad. We had this convo and, you know, we should, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll revisit it again in the next, in the, in the, in the future. Yeah. would love that. Maybe, yeah. maybe the next time you come on, we'll have better uh, vaccine news. Yeah. And eventually maybe we can get rid of this damn thing and we can do a live in-house studio yeah. thing in, yeah. in New York. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We'd love that. Yeah. yeah that'd be nice. Right. Yeah. Well, listen, you guys stay safe and, you know, thanks for what you guys do. Good luck and, you know, stay in touch. Yeah. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Bye. All right, bye. bye. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show we really appreciate it if you have any questions or comments any topics you'd like to submit please send them to rnmdpodcast at gmail.com you can also send them to our instagram account which is rnmdpodcast or my personal instagram account is the nocturnal nurse If you like the show, please like, please subscribe. Also, if you have any suggestions of how we can make this better, this is for you guys. And we'll see you again next week. Bye-bye.